Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, August 30th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Hurricane Ida slamming into Louisiana as a monster Category 4 storm. Nearly 1 million people without power in and around New Orleans as search crews head out to assess the damage and save those who remain trapped. A massive and unprecedented evacuation drawing down in Afghanistan after the U.S. launches several strikes against ISIS-K targets there following a tragic bombing last week outside the airport in Kabul. American service members who lost their lives making their final trip home. And with the Delta variant pushing hospitals to the breaking point, including in Louisiana, where an immense hurricane just came ashore, a new model suggesting that 100,000 more residents here in the U.S. could lose their lives to the pandemic. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. All eyes at this hour on the Gulf Coast. Ida making landfall on Sunday as a vicious Category 4 hurricane and now downgraded to a tropical storm as it pushes inland. At the moment, rescue crews are being dispatched to determine the extent of the damage. But here's what we can tell you right now. All of Orleans Parish, including the city of New Orleans, is without power and officials say it will take days to assess power grid damages across the region. The latest report suggests just under 1 million people remain in the dark and critically. It's worth noting that hospitals in the region were already at capacity before the storm hit, all because of COVID-19, with many reporting it had been impossible to transfer patients to other facilities because the entire region lacked sufficient hospital capacity. And for more on what it's like right now on the streets of New Orleans, let's go to Pedro Rojas, who's standing by in one of the country's most iconic but imperiled cities. Pedro, what do you know? Well, the, dev the devastation caused by Hurricane Ida, it's now started to be seen down here in Louisiana. And as we can see, we're in Jefferson Parish on the south side of New Orleans. And as you can see, authorities are now using votes to rescue residents that have been trapped underwater in the last few hours. As we can see, this is a large operation. Several boats are already taken off to go and rescue residents south of, of Jefferson Parish. And let me just show you a couple of boats that are about to take off. There's one right here and there's another one. And there are more boats coming. And this means that um, uh, uh, there are thousands, if not hundreds of residents that are stuck underwater south of where we are. Now, the local authorities are also brought buses ambulances and uh, other vehicles to transport the residents as they arrive to this place where we are. Now, this is just part of the scenario that is happening in this region because we know that near a million residents in Louisiana have no power this morning, as well as at least one person death that was uh, hit by a, by, a, by a tree in Ascension Parish in another area near the New Orleans urban area as well. The water service is cursed in many parts because of the loss of power. So the reality is that it's a really chaotic scenario at this point. The governor of Louisiana has said that he's going to travel by air helicopter today to, to kind of get an idea of the sense of what the damage is. But here on the ground, at least in Jefferson Parish, we can see that the water has basically taken over at least this road. And now the authorities are being forced to use boats to get to residents that unfortunately are now stuck underwater. Back to you. Thank you, Pedro, for that report, and please stay safe out there.
And now we turn to Afghanistan, where multiple rockets were fired on Kabul airport. A new attack just hours ahead of Tuesday's deadline for the withdrawal of all U.S. troops. On Sunday, meanwhile, the remains of the 13 U.S. service members killed in last week's horrific suicide bombing at the airport returning home to Dover, Delaware. The caskets draped in the stars and stripes arrayed in the hold of a C-17. The clock is winding down for all U.S. troops who withdraw from Afghanistan with just 24 hours left. We are in a period of serious danger. This morning, a U.S. official saying as many as five rockets were fired at Kabul's airport, but shot down by a U.S. defense system. Uh, five rockets uh, were in the air and went. Three landed uh, off uh, the airfield uh, were no effect and CRAM uh, was able to affect and thwart uh, the attack of one and the other rocket uh, landed uh, with no effect to the mission or any danger to our personnel. And over the weekend, officials say U.S. airstrikes took out two high-profile ISIS-K targets. An Afghan official reports six civilians were killed, four of them children. We have disrupted those attacks. They are individuals involved in the facilitation and planning and production of explosive devices. And they are part of the larger network of ISIS-K that is seeking to target both Americans at the airport uh, and ultimately to try to represent a greater threat to our interests both in Afghanistan and beyond. And federal officials believe threats to the U.S. are possible. Their current capability to threaten the homeland is not there, but that is a capability that they are seeking. The urgency to evacuate greater than ever. Only 50 American citizens able to get out in a 24-hour period over the weekend. At least 250 who say they want to leave still remain. This is the most dangerous time in an already extraordinarily dangerous mission these last couple of days. And so we will do everything possible to keep, uh, to keep people safe, but the risk is very high. In the meantime, a solemn scene in Delaware Sunday. The president and first lady watching the flag-draped remains of those fallen service members returning home to U.S. soil. Before the transfer, Biden met with families of the service members. U.S. servicemen carrying out the dignified transfer of the 13 service members killed last week. All of those killed were children or even infants in 2001 at the start of the war including 20-year-old Marine Lance Corporal Riley McCollum. His pregnant widow is expecting a baby in three weeks. Marine Lance Corporal David Espinoza. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Noss. Marine Corporal Hunter Lopez. And 23-year-old Marine Sergeant Nicole G. And we thank them for their service to the country. The United Nations Security Council is meeting this afternoon to discuss the situation in Afghanistan. The U.N.'s High Commissioner is warning that a humanitarian crisis is just beginning as some 39 million Afghans will remain inside the country once this airlift ends and they will need some sort of assistance. And for more on the situation there, let's go to Shirjan Amadazai. He's a director of the Center for Afghanistan Studies at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Thank you so much for being with us today, Shir. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here with you. 
Now, your center has deep roots in Afghanistan. It has been operating for the last four decades on the ground in the country, helping local journalists, educators, and some policymakers. Have your partners in Afghanistan been able to leave? And are some who are able to leave choosing to just stay? Well, thank you very much. Our partners in Afghanistan, some of them have been able to, to leave. And one of my employees from my office who was stuck in the first day of the incident in Kabul, who was able to leave. Unfortunately, many others who worked for our affiliate office in Kabul are still stuck there. And I unfortunately could not uh, help them get out in these hard times. Uh, they were confusions. They could not access the airport. There were efforts that we made, but all of them, of course, did not result in something that I would expect. They are still in Kabul with their families. Right now, we have nine members of the staff remaining uh, for our Kabul affiliate office in Kabul with their families. Unfortunately, we cannot get them out. Of course, other affiliates who work with us, a few of the active members that we work in Kabul University, in Balkh University, and Kabul Polytechnic University, some of them, quite a small number of them, managed to flee to neighboring countries. Majority of them, unfortunately, stayed in Kabul, and we, unfortunately, could not help them get out. So just like many other thousands of other uh, Afghans and Americans who are in Afghanistan are stuck and our evacuation process now ends today, which is unfortunate to see because this could have been avoided and we could have helped many of them to get out. Now, what are conditions like on the ground at the moment in the capital city? Well, the reports that I'm getting from relatives and friends and many others who work in Kabul and those who work for the previous government are really worried. They are limited to their households. They cannot get out. They think if they get out, they'll be arrested or prosecuted for something that they have not done before. So it's very uncertain for them. Whenever I talk to them, they say the situation is calm, but there is fear. It's peaceful, but it's fear. The absence of war does not mean peace. But it's very, they're very fearful about their, their well-being. They'll be uh, arrested or they'll be put in jail. Nobody knows what can happen. And some of them, some of the people in the country have been targeted. There have been killings around the country, not only in Afghanistan, you know, international Media is focused on Afghanistan, but there are incidents around the country, other centuries where the remaining uh, population Afghans reside. Only 6 million people live in Kabul, the remaining uh, 33 million uh, live in the rest of the country. And of course, many of them are fearful because we don't know yet if Taliban the announced the amnesty for everybody. Is that really practiced? Are the officials or other people who have helped the international community, American forces, Europeans, and the Afghan government of the past, are they safe or are they going to be safe? Women journalists are uh, confined to their houses. Some of them already were able, lucky enough, to, to flee Afghanistan. Some of them who wanted to go back to their work were denied entry. So it's still very, very early to know what Taliban have in their pockets or their, in their states to, to offer to the population. There are still in the negotiations to set up a government that they claim to be inclusive. I don't know. We are still cynical based on their, their past experience and their history. I don't know what will they bring to Afghanistan. As you noted, the future remains very uncertain for all the Afghans that will stay there. Now, the Taliban have portrayed themselves as more moderate, vowing to respect women's rights, forgive those who fought against them, and ensuring Afghanistan does not become a haven for terrorists. Now, do you really believe these promises? I don't. Unfortunately, that's a problem. Given the past history, the first time they ruled Afghanistan, in the last 20 years they fought the American forces, international community in Afghanistan, it's very difficult to to believe in the promises they made. You know, one of the promises they made the Americans in, our, in the deal with them was to sever ties with Al-Qaeda publicly, which they have not done. So it's very, I'm, I'm very optimistic, not, not optimistic and very cynical about the promise they have been uh, making. And I don't know if they will be able to keep those promises because there are uh, issues with that among themselves as a group. Will they 
promises deliver, deliver on those promises or not. So I don't know if they will do anything that could replicate closely to what they, they have promised to do so. And plus, uh, the, the women's situation, unfortunately, is, is, is worse. For example, recently they announced that women in university classes should be taught separately uh, from men. And that limits, because there's limited capacity even for men to teach men, let alone women. So that means technically uh, and practically banning uh, university students that are female from educating being educated in university. So that's a very, very bad situation for the women in Afghanistan, of course, for the university students. It's, you know, this, this is the start. We don't know what's going to happen when they announce the government. So the setup is still not there. They don't have any leader or president to say, I'm the president of this country or leader of this country. So they're still negotiating with everyone on the ground. I don't know what will happen uh, in the next few hours even. It's really a terrible and troubling situation out there, and we continue to pray for the safety of our allies and uh, U.S. citizens. Thank you so much for your time, Shirjan Ahmadzai, Director of the Center for Afghanistan Studies at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, our neighbor to the south, Mexico, is starting to take in refugees fleeing from the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. Paulina Gomez takes a closer look at how the nation is opening its arms to these evacuees. Four young Afghan girls, all members of our robotics team, are the first citizens from that country to request the humanitarian status to Mexico. The reason that we left was that we didn't want our story to be ended by Taliban. We, we wanted to continue the path that we, that we started to continue to go for our achievements and um, to go for uh, having our dreams to reality. Leaving their loved ones and their homes behind was the only alternative they had to remain safe. But now the well-being of their families is their main concern. We were so stressed out, we, we couldn't eat and sleep well for many days and we were like uh, even crying many times uh, and sitting together and crying and thinking about what uh, a solution can we have. They shared that living in Afghanistan turned so dangerous they were not allowed to attend school or even leave their house. Situation outside our homes were really high risky and uh, even um, especially for our team who have been uh, you know uh, has a high profile uh, status and woman achievement and which is not uh, something that is in favor of taliban's regime in 2017 the 20 member robotic team competed in washington they also created an artificial ventilator for COVID patients made out of car parts as outstanding as they are, Mexico didn't hesitate in protecting them. The very special characteristic of being teenagers that achieved to stand out in their society, that have defended their ability to be professionals. The Mexico Foreign Affairs Office informed that the other teammates were not able to leave Afghanistan and remain at a safety house. It is suspected the arrival of more Afghanistan's refugees here. Actually, recently, a group of journalists from international media and their families just arrived from Afghanistan. Paulina Gomez-Bulshiner in Mexico City, U News. The hope for a so-called return to normalcy from COVID-19 this fall and winter appears to be fading fast. Hospitalizations are up nationwide, especially in the south, where some places are facing a shortage of oxygen. Grecia Lastra reports. The rate of COVID-19-related deaths rose in 42 states last week, according to John Hopkins University. 
and a projection from the University of Washington finds 100,000 more people could die from the virus by December. What is going on now is both entirely predictable but entirely preventable. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, says that there are roughly 80 million people in the U.S. who are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine but have yet to get it. It's so important now in this crisis that we're in that people put aside any ideologic, political or other differences and just get vaccinated. But some Americans have yet to be convinced. You choose what you should do, what you feel is right for you and your family. It's not about being Republican or Democrat. Including those who held a Freedom From COVID rally Saturday in the Kentucky State Capitol. They say that they do not want to be forced to roll up their sleeves or wear masks. It's my body. And no, no one needs to decide that for me. No one should ever decide that for anybody. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, all 50 states have a high COVID-19 transmission rate, while just half of the U.S. and Washington, D.C. have at least 50 percent of their population fully vaccinated. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News. And just as many Americans were getting used to vacationing this summer trouble-free in their favorite European destinations, the EU is saying not anymore. Today, the bloc recommended reinstating COVID travel restrictions on the U.S. and five other countries. Those measures would include quarantine and testing requirements for unvaccinated travelers, as well as a halt on all non-essential travel. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the story from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Hundreds of voting rights activists gathered in Washington, D.C. Saturday to commemorate a landmark date in America's civil rights history. Saturday was the 58th anniversary of the March on Washington immortalized by Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Multiracial coalitions of civil, human and labor rights leaders convened to urge passage of federal voter protections that they say have been eroding since the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Meanwhile, in Texas, a law that would ban most abortions in that state is set to go into effect Wednesday after the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals canceled a hearing on the matter that had been planned for today. The legislation signed by Texas Governor Greg Abbott in May prohibits abortions after a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which can be as early as six weeks before many women know they are pregnant. The measure also allows members of the general public to sue doctors and others they believe violated the law. And in California, tension is building ahead of an election that could end with the ousting of Governor Gavin Newsom. Californians will vote in a recall election on September 14th. And if a majority of voters want to replace Newsom, whichever challenger gets the most votes could do just that. Efforts to recall Newsom began last year among conservatives who took issue with the governor's record on immigration, taxes, the death penalty and the state's homelessness crisis. 
They ramped up as California began widespread lockdowns in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And speaking of the coronavirus emergency facing so many states in the midst of great efforts by authorities and the media to convince people to get vaccinated, a market for the sale of false vaccination certificates has sprung up. Genesis Vieira has more on the multiple dangers of these fraudulent cards. Vaccination cards have become a precious item and criminals know it. That is why in the darkest places of the web, they are selling fake cards that allow people who have not been inoculated against COVID-19 to function in society as if they had. If people have been able to create fake money, fake passports, fake licenses using high technology, in this case of the CDC vaccine card that is practically a piece of cardboard with handwritten information, this was very predictable. But if it is illegal and unethical to sell fake documents like this one, it is even worse to buy them. Medical experts say the consequences can be dire. Not only are they deceiving themselves, but they are also putting at risk the life of those around them. Universities are raising the alarm about this practice. College officials have already said that there will be zero tolerance for those violating their policies. It is very dangerous to do this in universities, to have fake cards, because they put other people in danger and you don't have the vaccine either. I am afraid because people say they are vaccinated, but they are not vaccinated and that scares me. Authorities warn that the proliferation of fake cards could jeopardize the progress the country has made in this fight against the coronavirus. Reported by Lourdes Servio, Genesis Vieira for U News. The financial cost of remaining unvaccinated against COVID-19 is rising. Health insurance providers are now asking people who contract the disease to share the cost of treatment, which can get expensive if that requires a lengthy hospital stay. Here's Eileen Cardez with more. Having the coronavirus could cost you dearly. Some private health insurances are asking clients to pay for part of the treatment out of pocket. Freddy Medina got sick with the virus a few months ago and says it was very expensive. Mine was like 70, 80,000 and I had to pay like 10 percent, 7,000 and something like that. And then it would be at a time of COVID where there was no jobs and now so far the economy is still recovering. At that time, Freddie's insurance covered all the expenses, something that Nori Perez, who is a medical insurance agent for large companies, explained it's about to change. Florida Blue, as of September 1st, is already going to have shared expenses with its clients. Aetna, within the next two months, is also going to put some rules in place because of the high cost. Experts say this is because health insurance companies no longer have the budget to cover the cost of prolonged hospitalizations of unvaccinated people. They are going to assign to the individual the cost of the co-payment that until now was assumed by federal government. That makes all the costs of the companies go up because they too will not have a subsidy from the government. According to an analysis by the Kaiser Family Foundation, Unvaccinated people who get sick with COVID-19 cost the healthcare system millions of dollars, and the cost of each hospitalization could be 24,000 or more. Aileen Cardet, U News. 
Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.